conscious of your breathing is, um, is in childbirth. And I've had the opportunity, not myself to birth children, but to be a part of that experience four different times. And I remember in the childbirthing class that we went to, they say one thing all the time. They say, you just need to focus on your what? You're breathing. And so that's what they tell my wife, Crystal. That's what they told me. I'm like, I don't, I don't know what to do. And, and, and honestly, it's one of those things that they, they even tell the, the husband. They're like, okay, if she's, if she's in a lot of pain, just, just say to her, just focus on your breathing. And so I tried that. And um, it doesn't work, guys. In fact, if you're a daddy to be in here or one day that's something that you desire, I'm just going to go ahead and tell you, it might be the right thing to say, but at that time, there's nothing you can say that's right. I'll just go ahead and say that the way it is. Um, it's one of those things that that's what they tell you to do is focus on your breathing. But isn't it one of those things with that the most dramatic thing or one of the very dramatic things that we do every day, something that is life-giving, because if you stop breathing, you're pretty much done for. But the thing that we do every day and the thing that actually brings us life, we very seldom think about. We overlook it. Air comes in. Air goes out. Air comes and goes. Come and go. And so we're in this series, uh, the next three weeks together, called Come and Go. And the reason we're in this is because I believe these are two words that are in Scripture that we see all the time that are overlooked quite a bit, much like breathing. This idea of coming and this idea of going. These are words that are powerful in Scripture. And I believe, if you look at your introduction there, that these words, come and go, I believe these two words perfectly define the purpose and the progress of the kingdom of God. And so for the next three weeks, this is kind of what we're talking about. We're talking about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, uh, as it's referred to some in Scripture. This idea of come and go. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22. Uh, you can either turn there or if you have an app, you can look it up right there uh, on the app. Go to latest message, click that, and uh, you can see our outline there as well. Uh, but Matthew chapter 22, um, I have a confession to make. So as the Lord kind of put this message in my heart or this series in my heart uh, several months ago, I kind of knew this time was coming. And it's kind of like when you start, like when you're, have something to say to someone and you know kind of how the conversation needs to go and really specifically you know how the conversation needs to end but you don't know how to start the conversation. Anybody ever been there? Like I've been there a lot and honestly it's one of those things where the conversation starts a little awkward and that's really where I've been like literally the last month is this idea of I know where I want us to go the next two weeks but I really didn't know how to start this morning. And up until even last week, I was debating with God, and that never works out, by the way. Uh, I'm always wrong in that situation. But I was debating with God, Lord, what is it that you really want me to share? And he kept taking me to this passage in Matthew chapter 22. And, and I know the passage, and it was one of those things that I just I didn't really want to share it, to be quite honest. It's, it's a complicated passage. It's a little deep, and uh, there's several applications in it. And, 
And it was one of those things where the Lord just really just laid this passage on my heart. And so this morning, we're going to kind of start in a historical mindset, which is kind of a weird place to start. I want to kind of give you a history of the, the first part of this parable, because it is historical at the first part of this, and then it kind of gets more into the, into the meat of what we're going to talk about. So we're going to fly through the first little part of this message, and then hopefully get into uh, the application for our lives. Uh, Matthew chapter 22 starts with Jesus telling a parable. And he did this often. He told many parables uh, in Scripture. And uh, a parable is, is basically an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. We kind of have to have that framework to understand where we're going today. It's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Meaning that he would tell a story that any common person, anybody uh, educated or uneducated could understand. But it would always have this heavenly context, this spiritual context. He would talk about physical things, but then he would have some kind of heavenly or spiritual thing about the unseen. And he does this all through Scripture. And sometimes in the parable, uh, they, would, they would figure it out. Other times, he would actually have to say to them, hey, this is what this means. And then there were even other times where he never, he would just put it out there, leave it, and they would figure it out later, sometimes years later, before they actually figured out the meaning of the parable. And this is one of those deep parables that he told. He never really, to the disciples, explained to them the exact meaning of this story. But I guarantee you they figured it out. So Matthew chapter 22, uh, there you have this. And, and he's telling this parable, and if we can kind of get the time frame here, this is like Wednesday, and he's going to be crucified on Friday. So it, sometimes it's easy to kind of separate uh, from our minds these ideas that he's telling a story. Well, let's think about that for a second. He, he's on Wednesday, and coming Friday, he's going to be crucified. Thursday night, he's going to be handed over, and he's going to be crucified that next morning. And so this is, this is all right there in that time frame, and he's telling a lot of things to his disciples. He's telling a lot of things to the people that are following him around. And so you have this parable, and it starts in Matthew 22, verse 1. It says, Jesus spoke to them, the people gathered, not just the disciples, but the people gathered around, spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. So you have this king's plan, okay? This, this plan here is you have a king, his son, and a banquet, a wedding banquet. Uh, that's kind of the setting of our story. And remember, we already said this, earthly story, heavenly meaning. So earthly story, earthly characters have a heavenly meaning. And we can probably figure this out. But God, the, uh, uh, you have the king there that represents God the Father. In fact, many times in Scripture, any time, not any time, but a lot of times when Jesus would refer to a king in a parable or Scripture, he was referring to God the Father. He was referring to the, the, the head of the Godhead, all right? And then this, this king has a son. We can probably figure out pretty quick. It doesn't take you long to be in church to figure out that's referring to Jesus Christ, the king and his son. But then you have this banquet that's going on, all right? Now, he kind of even tells us at the beginning what the banquet is. He says the kingdom of heaven is like a banquet, okay? It, it, that's what the banquet represents. The banquet represents the kingdom of heaven, or some, uh, some translations say kingdom of God. Those terms were used throughout Scripture interchangeably, kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God. And Jesus talked about this 
all the time. He talked about the kingdom of heaven is like this. The kingdom of God is like this. And so there was always this thought process out there about what is the kingdom of heaven. And when the Jews heard this, when the people of Israel heard him talking about this, they automatically assumed they were talking about him. They automa- or, or themselves. They automatically assumed that they were talking about that he was talking about themselves, that they are the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God. And actually, he is talking about them at the beginning of the story. But Jesus, in this parable, is about to redefine in their minds what the kingdom of heaven really was. So the plan is set. You've got a king, you've got a son, and you've got a banquet. And it's all set. The invitations have already been sent out. So what happens now? It's time to call the people in. It's time to invite them to come to the banquet. The banquet is ready to go. So you have the king's invitation for them to come. And you have several invitations listed here. But look at the first invitation here in verse 3. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come. Notice, these are the two words you're going to see in this parable, okay, and in, in, in our teaching the next three weeks. Come and go, come and go. So he invited them to the banquet, and he told them to come, all right? But look at their response. But they refused to come. Now, this is a huge slap in the face. And for us, it's not as big a deal because when we think of, we get invited to things all the time, birthday parties, weddings, all of that, and we make what we can, and then the things we can't make or don't want to make, we say we can't come. But this is a big deal because in the context of this story, this is a king that has rolled out the red carpet. This is not some normal wedding banquet. This is a king's royal wedding banquet. Okay, he spared no expense and they aren't coming. Now imagine the context. So this is more along the lines of what we're dealing with. Imagine if this happened, okay? You have a king, and and actually we'll use the example. Okay, so it's in the tabloids. If you go to Walmart, you'll see it on the shelf there. If you go to any news website, you'll see it. Prince Harry and Meghan Markle, okay? I don't really know these people. And frankly, I'm, I'm a little trying to figure out if this is you. I'm sorry, I don't mean to offend you, but I'm kind of interested in why people care so much. Like he's the sixth in line. The chances of him actually becoming king one day are very slim to none. But people are infatuated with this story. So I want you to picture in your mind that Monday comes, you get home from work, it's been a crazy day at work or, uh, or whatever you decided to do on Monday. You get home and one of the king's guards, you know what I'm talking about? The guy in the red suit with the dead beaver on top of his head, you know? He knocks on your door and you open it And he says, we request the honor of your presence at Prince Harry and Meghan Markle's wedding. We're going to pay for everything. We're going to pay for you to get there. We're going to pay for, in my case, they're going to pay for childcare for my family or for my kids. And you and your wife are invited to go over the ocean. We're going to keep you there for about a week and a half. And you're going to be able to just do everything. You're going to not only go to the wedding banquet. You're going to be a part of every wedding festivity. You're going to be able to tour our city and our country and all of this stuff. It wouldn't take me long and most people long to say, all right, let's go. When, when do we leave, right? This is kind of the lunacy of this story. This is why when they read this, they're thinking, what person would ever refuse a king's banquet? No one in their right mind would do this, and especially for two reasons. One, out of honor. It's such an honor to be invited. I'm this common person getting invited to this wedding banquet. 
But not just honor, these, these people, the people of Israel, and, and even us, if we kind of grew up in a monarch society, they felt an obligation to that king or that queen. That they have an, not only an honor, but an obligation. It's, it's something I should do for my country and for the rulers of my country. An obligation to go. So this, as they, these people are hearing this story, they're thinking, what person would actually refuse this? What group of people would actually refuse this king's invitation. Now remember, it's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. This is not a king inviting random people to a banquet, all right? We've already established that. This is God inviting people to the kingdom. It's a big difference here, okay? So you have different people in this story that we want to identify to kind of set the groundwork of where we're headed. So who are the sent servants in the story? He sent out a bunch of sent servants. Who are the sent servants in the story? The sent servants, I believe, are the prophets of old. The prophets of the Old Testament. This could also be the judges of the Old Testament. But time and time again, here, the sent servants were the prophets and the, and the priests and the, the, the teachers of the Old Testament. And the, the invited guests were the people of Israel. They were right about that. He was talking about them, the people of Israel. And you see this time and time again. Ever since the garden, they have been out of fellowship with God. When Adam and Eve sinned, they were out of fellowship, out of relationship with God. And he is, he, God, as a gracious king, has been going through with the people of Israel this entire time, sending prophets and judges and priests and teachers and all these different people, inviting them back to the kingdom, saying, look, Come back. Have relationship with me. Have a fellowship with me. And so you have this all throughout the entire Old Testament. If you read through the entire Old Testament, this is the theme of the Old Testament. We mess things up, and God is calling, calling us back. Actually, the people of Israel mess things up, and he is calling them back into relationship with him. And so you have these invited guests, but look at their RSVP. Look at the way they responded. They responded with refusal. They said, we don't want to come to that. Ludicrous. The result, you would think, is, all right, this king would be like, all right, forget you guys. I'll, I'll do something else. But he doesn't. He actually gives them a second chance. This is a good and gracious king giving them a second chance. So then this king sends this second invitation to come. He says in verse 4, Then he sent some more servants and said, Tell those who have been invited that I've prepared my dinner. My oxen and fattened calf have been butchered. They're having steak, okay? And everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. This king is, is, is a gracious king. He's a merciful king. He's, he's giving them a second chance to come and be a part of this. Now, this is an interesting passage, and this is the reason, those of you that are biblical scholars, this is the reason why I think there are two groups of people, two sets of sent servants in this passage. Because notice it says in verse 4, then he sent some more servants, implying this is a different group of servants that go to invite the people of Israel. And I believe this is, the, this is kind of a, a, a dividing point between really the Old Testament and the New Testament. That you once had prophets and judges inviting people. Now you have John the Baptist. He comes and he's inviting people to the kingdom. Not only John the Baptist, but Jesus himself. 
Jesus himself was not only Messiah, he was messenger. He was inviting the people of Israel to come and be a part of the kingdom. And so when Jesus gets to this point, I really believe this, that Jesus is saying this parable, knowing in the back of his mind, he's talking about himself. He's talking about himself as a sent servant to invite people to the kingdom of God. The invited guests are the same. It's still the people of Israel. And this is what Jesus is is doing. But look at their RSVP here. Verse 5. But they paid no attention to these sent servants. They went off, one to his field, another to his business. So they get another invitation for this outrageous banquet that they had the opportunity to be a part of, and they refuse. Get this. These guests traded the beauty and grandeur and honor of the banquet for the sake of everyday mundane things. They basically chose, instead of this great opportunity, this great feast, this great honor and obligation that they had, instead of that, they decided, I'm just going to go mow the yard, basically, is, is what they're saying here. Just something mundane and everyday, something that's not very special, but they're choosing to do this. And we would look at this and call that outrageously stupid, and we would be right. But look, this is the first group of invited guests, but look at these other invited guests that Jesus and, the, and John the Baptist and the sent servants, look at, the, look at how the other guests treated them. The rest, the rest of these invited guests seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. And this is, this is one reason why I believe it, it probably was John the Baptist and Jesus and, and people like that. Because this is exactly what happened to Jesus. He was mistreated. He was killed. This second group of invited guests did something even worse than the first group. All right? The first group was indifferent towards the message. They were indifferent, indifferent towards the invitation. But the fact of the matter is the second group was worse. They were arrogant. They were defiant. And they were brutal. The RSVP of these invited guests, the people of Israel, was apathy and brutality. Apathy and brutality. And this is what you see with Israel time and time again. I told you that the first part of this message was going to be very historical, and it is. The fact that you see this all throughout Scripture This idea of, hey, you know, I'm going to give you another chance. The book of Judges, if you go look at that, that's what you see time and time again is God extending grace, extending mercy, sending someone to deliver them. Not only to deliver them, but to give them a message. Come, be invited to the kingdom. Be invited to relationship with me, your Father, your God. And time and time again, they disregard it. And the final insult for the people of Israel was when they took the messenger, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, and crucified him and said, we're done with you. We're done with this message. We're not only not going to listen to it, we're not only going to refuse and reject it, now we're going to kill the messengers. And this was the final insult to the king. Look at what it says in verse 7. The king was enraged, rightfully so. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. The result of of their rejection for the people of Israel was destruction and displacement. Destruction and displacement. And, And when Jesus said this, he already knew what was coming. He already knew that 35 years from now, 
the nation of Israel was going to be destroyed. They, he knew that 35 years from now, in 70 AD, the temple was going to be destroyed. He saw all of that. He knew what was coming for them because of how they had treated the invitation to come to the kingdom. And in this time, the impact and influence of God's chosen people would be displaced. These people who God said, hey, you're it. You're the one I'm going to deliver the message through. You're the one that I'm going to do all these great things through. Time and time again, they rejected. And eventually God said, okay, you're displaced. And then something amazing happens in this story. And this is the part I want us to focus on. You have the history of Israel, the people of Israel, God's chosen people, uh, uh, ordained to do amazing things. And then their rejection and their destruction and displacement brings us to something new happening. Something amazing. And you got to put your thinking cap on for this, but listen here. This shift happens from the emphasis on the word come in the story to the word go. The emphasis goes from come to go. You see the king's invitation to come, and now you see the king's proclamation to go. Look at verse 8. There's a shift in what's about to happen here. Then the king, then he, the king, said to his servants, the wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. Verse 9. So, go. So go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you can find. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they can find, the bad as well as the good, which that's a great line. We're going to talk about that in just a second. Everything changes in this story with this one word, go. The trigger word changes everything the disciples thought they knew about the kingdom of heaven right here in this passage. You see, Jesus, or God, gives this third invitation, but this invitation is different. This invitation is a different group of servants. It's a different group of invited guests. You see, God had sent many servants before. He had sent messengers. He had sent judges and priests and prophets. Even Jesus himself, they were all sent to deliver the message. But this time, he sends a new group of servants. This time, he sends us, the church. We are now the sent servants. You see, that day, as the disciples heard this story, the meaning didn't come into full picture yet, but it soon would. See, Jesus never tells them everything about this parable and what it means. But I believe down the road, these disciples figure out what it means. Jesus would go on from this st story two days later to be crucified, buried, and then three days after that, resurrected. And he would appear to many before they would understand what this parable was really about. And then about a month and a half later, standing on a hill with the risen Jesus, they would hear the words Jesus would say to them. And it's a passage that we know very well. It's in Matthew chapter 28. It's a passage we've heard probably our entire lives. I believe this passage and the passage we're reading, this parable, I believe they're completely parallel and correlated together. Matthew 28 verse 18 says, And Jesus came and said to them, 
all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And the minute he said this, I guarantee you those disciples were thinking, all right, the physical kingdom is about to come. We're about to set up a kingdom, a physical kingdom right here on earth. We're going to overthrow Rome. We're going we're to make things happen. And then Jesus gives them that word again, that special word that changes what they really think about the kingdom of God. He says, verse 19, go therefore, it's right here on the, script, on the screen, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. It's the Great Commission. And it's triggered with this word, Go. It establishes the answer to the purpose and progress of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. And from this point, these disciples, along with every generation of disciples that will come after them, including us sitting in this room today, we become the sent servants of the parable. We become that. In fact, 10 days from now, those sent servants will have a name, the church Isn't it weird to think how many times the word church in our culture has been misused and misrepresented? Even by Christians. Even Christians have misrepresented and misused what the church is. They think that there's this this dichotomy or this separation between my relationship with Christ and the church. That these are mutually exclusive things and I don't really need the church. I can just have my little personal relationship with Jesus. I saw this on Facebook this last week. It's this advertisement, and I actually blinked out the, the name of what was advertised. Maybe you've seen this, and I'm not trying to, to pick on this, this, this ad, but I found this very, honestly, word-for-word offensive. Interested in Christianity, but not interested in church. So, and, and the whole goal is, hey, click on this and come to this place instead. This will be better because we're not going to be a church. We're going to be something else. And I look at this and I think this is, this is honestly, this is what many Christians, what many believers and lost people are facing. This idea that there's this separation that God has, that we have this personal relationship and, and this other thing over here, this church thing, doesn't really matter. But the parable in this story tells us, it talks about the fact that we have something great. It's not just a relationship with God. We get the privilege to be the sent servants of God. And we do that through the church. We do that through the operation of the church that Jesus himself calls us the kingdom of heaven. He calls us the body of Christ. He calls us the bride of Christ. And for us to separate ourselves from that is offensive. It's kind of like if I went home today and, and, you know, in the next gathering, my wife's going to be in the next gathering and, and uh, she's very encouraging. If you know anything about my wife, I, I, I have a hard time finding fault in her. Even at home, she's like, I'm almost always wrong in the argument and it really is true. But you know what she's going to do? I'll go ahead and tell you what she's going to do. She's going to come home and she's going to encourage me. Even if I stunk it up, she would encourage me. That's just who she is. Um, but imagine she came up to me and she... She gave me a big hug, and she started talking about the message and, and appreciated my obedience to it. And, and then she started saying, you know, you're also, you're a great dad. You're a great husband. You're a great provider. 
And then the only thing she said is, you know, the only thing, honestly, about the only thing I don't really like about you is your body. That's probably the only thing. That kind of repulses me, but everything else about you I love. I mean, you're great at everything else. Imagine how offensive that would be to me. Or let's say I've got my friend Tom here. Tom is awesome, by the way. Tom knows everything about woodworking and all that stuff, and we've had some good conversations, and I used to work for Tom, actually. He was my employer for a while. And Tom, let's say I just wanted to hang out with you more. And I said, Tom, I just, I kind of want to hang out with you, man. You mind if I come over and you show me some things with, with how to, you know, do some woodworking thing, which I'm not good at any of that stuff. And I said, Tom, you're a really cool guy. I, I like everything about you. I don't, I don't like your wife, though. <laughs> now, I love, I love Ann, by the way. But imagine if I said that to Tom and I'd say, hey, Tom, I, I don't, I'm not really crazy about your wife, but me and you can hang out. Like, Tom's a good husband. You know, Tom's not going not gonna to hang out with me, probably. He's going to be like, eh, I'm just going to keep you at arm's length. Why? Because that's his wife. The Bible calls them one. They're, they're inseparable. And this is what believers are doing. It, it, not just lost people. This is what believers are doing. They are separating these two things out, the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, and they're separating them out. When God is saying, hey, we are the sent servants. We have the privilege to follow Jesus in serving and sending the message of Jesus to invite those to come to the kingdom of God. We have that privilege. God himself has set us, the church, up as the means in which people are invited into the kingdom. We are the sent servants of God. And the invited guests, get this, they go from a selected group, a special people, to anyone and everyone. Look at verse 9 again. So go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servant went out, servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, the bad as well as the good. The invitation was no longer geographically bound to a certain location or a specific house that these servants were going to retrieve people from. No, they went out to the streets. And they went, any, they, they went everywhere to find anyone who wanted to come and be a part of this banquet. Then as Jesus is telling this story, he says both the good and the bad were invited, which is kind of an interesting thing. And you kind of have to have the mind of an Israelite to get this. The Israelites thought they were the good ones. They always thought they were the good all right? So when they're reading this, they're thinking, oh, he's talking about inviting other people outside of us to come to the kingdom. That's exactly what he was talking about here. But it's more than that. The invitation to the kingdom of God is not based on ethnicity or education or income bracket or popularity or personality type or athletic ability or attractiveness. Thank God for those last two or I would be in trouble. It's not based on whether you perceive yourself as good or perceive yourself as evil. In fact, it doesn't matter how you perceive yourself. What matters is what does God say about you? What does God perceive you as? And the truth is we're all start, we all started in the same boat. Hopelessly lost, outside of the banquet, outside of the kingdom. Romans 3.10 tells us that. There's none that is righteous, not one. Not one person. But God, in this passage, has sent an invitation for anyone, everywhere, to come. 
And I love this because the RSVP in this parable is what we see happening around the world. That many people will come and they will gather at the feet of our king. That that's what's happening all around the world. Verse 10, the end part of it says, And the wedding hall was filled with guests. You see, the result was a full house and a fulfilled kingdom. A full house and a fulfilled kingdom. And I love thinking about this scene because this is not just some futuristic thing that's happening way out in the future at the end of time. This is something that's happening right now all over the world. That from the, the 12 disciples, the, the 11 disciples, that they were sent out to go and invite anyone everywhere. And because of that, man, all of these places all around the world, people are coming together they are worshiping together, and they are seeing the fulfillment of the kingdom of God here on earth. And I love that. The thing I love most about coming here on Sunday mornings is that very thing, that we get to come and see God's goodness every Sunday morning. It's not us just sitting around and just doing this because this is what we do. I would, if I didn't get paid a dime, I'd be sitting right on that front row every Sunday morning. Because I love being around you people. I love the fact that we get to come and see God's goodness together. And that we get to go out from this place as the sent servants. Following in the footsteps of Jesus himself. To go and invite more people to the kingdom of God. And so this morning, man, that is the encouragement and the challenge for us as believers in this room. That we stop separating this idea of church and relationship with Christ. That we stop separating that out as two things, one very necessary, the other one doesn't matter at all. And saying, no, we are the church. We are the sent servants. We are the ones called to go out and invite those to come. And that's our application. We, the church, are the sent servants called to go everywhere and invite anyone to come to the kingdom. And these next two weeks, man, that's, that's going to be the, the, the heart around those messages is how we do that as a people of God. This idea of coming and going. And I love how it ends. The end of verse 10, I already read it. I want to read it again. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. That'd be a good place to end, wouldn't it? That'd be the best place to end. It's like this happy ending, happily ever after. That's where you close your Bible and say, that's a good word, thank you, Lord, for the word, and we go ahead and go home and eat our roast. But Jesus doesn't end there. Did you, do you notice that? This would be a great place for that. And if this was a movie, you know, the end credits would be rolling and some guy would be in there wiping the popcorn up. But this is not where the story ends. The, the, there is like this end credit scene. If you've been following movies, movies are kind of notorious for this. They found a way for you to watch all of those boring credits. Now they put something at the end of the movie that you have to stay for. And this is kind of what that's like. Some movies and some stories you stay to the very end because something important is still left to happen. Something is still left to learn. And the king in this story has an epilogue. There's one more part to the story. And it can kind of be summed up in a phrase that we all kind of know really well. Easy come, easy go. Easy come, easy go. Look at verse 11. But when the king came in to see the guest, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. 
There was, this is a weird term, but follow me. There was an invited intruder. There was an invited intruder. Now, this is not a wedding crasher. How do I know that? The reason I know that is because what was the invitation? The invitation was anyone who wanted to come can come. So this is not some wedding crasher that kind of snuck into the party. No, this guy was invited. So how can someone that's invited be an intruder? The text tells us, the, the story tells us. He wasn't in the proper attire. This would be the equivalent of uh, one of you ladies going to a wedding and wearing, not your wedding, but going to a wedding and wearing a long white flowing gown. Like, it's offensive, right? The, the bride's supposed to wear that. It's the same kind of deal. There were certain clothes that were required to really be a part of this and be where you're not an insult. And look at verse 12. He asked, the king asked, how did you get in here without wedding clothes, friend? The man was speechless. Now, he wasn't speechless because he was confused. He was speechless because he had no good excuse as to why he wasn't in the attire. And before we start feeling sorry for him as like, oh, maybe he just didn't have the money to afford it or maybe, maybe he just didn't have the time to get it together. No, you got to understand the context of this story. All of these guests, every one of these guests came in a hurry. The people went out, the servants went out, they gathered them and they took them immediately to the gathering, to the banquet. And this is what's really cool. And you got to really understand this and follow me here. The king of the story the king would have graciously supplied clothes to every wedding guest. Think about this for a second. They're in a hurry. They're coming in off the streets. They're not dressed for a wedding. The king would have taken care of that for them. He would have supplied their clothing for each guest. No, this guy was choosing to reject the king's provision that he had already set in place. This guy, he wanted the benefits of the banquet but rejected the covering of the king. He wanted the benefits of the banquet. He wanted all of that, but he, he was not willing to take on the covering of the king. And what's odd in this story is that no wedding guest sees this person out of place. It wasn't a servant that saw this guy out of place. It wasn't another wedding guest. No, the king was the one that noticed. The king was the one that saw this man sticking out like a sore thumb. It was easy for him to get in. In fact, he was invited, but he wasn't willing to accept the king's covering. Look at the result. Easy come, easy go. Verse 13, then the king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. What's the result? The end of the story doesn't end happy. It actually ends with an outsider in the darkness. The end of the story is this outsider in the darkness, weeping and gnashing of teeth. It has lots of times. A lot of times Jesus, when he says that, he's actually talking about hell. But it's this idea of uh, just unmerited un, uh, sorrow, this sorrow that's so deep that he can't be consoled, unconsolable sorrow. And then Jesus finishes with this little phrase, verse 14. And you could literally do three messages alone around just this one verse. For many are invited, but few are chosen. This last little phrase, I want to talk just a second about it. It shows the sovereignty of Christ choosing us because we have chosen him. 
That's about as deep as I can go today to finish on time. But get this, guys. Many are invited. Many go to church. Many have a Bible. Many listen to the message. Many go to the banquet, and they sit in this kingdom, and no one knows any different. But the king of heaven sees who is not covered in his righteousness. You see, this story is, is more than just a story about clothing. That when the king saw this man, he saw an outsider. And some of the times, I really believe this, that the king of heaven looks down into our little kingdom here, into our church, and, and we don't know any different. We don't know who's covered in the king's righteousness or not, but he knows. And, and that person, man, they, sit, they stick out like a, a sore thumb. They're an outsider that's going to be soon in darkness. And it's kind of a sad ending to this story. But Jesus, what, what he's trying to get a point across here is it's not this idea of like material clothing. He's trying to get this point across to something that the Jews would have picked up on probably all the way back to Adam and Eve. What did Adam and Eve do when they were in the garden and they sinned, they fell? They tried to put together for themselves their own clothing, their own way to cover up their shame and their guilt. And what, is, what does God do? He goes and he sacrifices an animal to give them proper clothing and proper attire so that their shame can be taken away, so that they can be in the presence and fellowship with God again. And thousands of years later, Jesus Christ himself does the exact same thing on our behalf. He does the exact same thing to anyone, and every, to anyone everywhere around the world to those that are invited to the banquet, he offers the same thing. He says, hey, look, here is my covering. Here is the righteousness that you need to stay here in the kingdom. This is what you need. And it costs me greatly. It costs my son's life. That son, that, that son Jesus, when he's telling this story, that's what he's trying to get across. He's saying, look, I'm the sacrificed clothing for you. I'm the clothing the God, the God, the king has laid out and said, hey, put this on. Because if you don't, you're really just an outsider, soon to be in darkness. And the story ends like that. See, the application here is that invitation only is not what makes you part of the kingdom. The question is, are you clothed in the king's righteousness? You know, as I, as I tell this story it kind of frightens me a little bit. And I'll tell you why. It frightens me and it intimidates me. It intimidates me because there's people in this room that I've grown up around. I've been here since I was eight years old. And some of you knew me when I was eight and know this is a miracle that I'm even up here. But, but here's the truth. The thing that scares me the most is that I can come on a Sunday morning, I can shake people's hands, I can bump shoulders with you, I can go to connect groups with you. I can serve with you. All the while not knowing, not knowing anything truthfully about what's going on right here. And what's crazy is that among this group of people in this room, that many are invited, that we're all here, and that we're sitting here and we're celebrating the kingdom of God and we're celebrating God's goodness in our life and God's goodness in others' lives. 
And what scares me is that there are people that I could have potentially grown up with, people that have been in this church since day one. And to everyone here, we look like invited guests, and we are. But when God sees you, he sees an outsider soon to be in darkness. Not because you came today or didn't come today or you make this many Sundays a a year and not this many. Not because of that. But because you've rejected the king's clothing. You've rejected the sacrifice that God made on our behalf to kill his own son to provide righteousness for us so that we can enter the kingdom. And I'm not naive. I used to be. But I'm not naive enough to think that in a group this size that there's not someone out there that you have. You've rejected the king's clothing. Everyone in this place, you might have them all fold. You might have me fold. That you're following God. And hopefully all of you are. But chances are there's probably some in here that this is just something you do by association. And God is calling you and he is standing there with his nail-pierced hands holding your righteousness, holding his righteousness for you. Saying, just take this, man. This is free. This cost me everything. It cost you nothing. Just take this and come into the kingdom and truly be a part. And so with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, The application and invitation is simple. If you're a believer in this room, I want you to be encouraged today. I want you to be encouraged the fact that you are a sent servant of God the Father and you get to follow in the footsteps of Jesus Christ to go and invite the world to the kingdom of God. That is our mission. And I don't want you to, as a believer in this room, I don't want you to get confused with the fact that we have a responsibility to be a part of the church, to be a part of the those sent servants. It's more than just showing up on a Sunday morning. So that's an encouragement and a challenge to you believers. But maybe you're in this room today and maybe you've been in this church for 60 years. And maybe you would shock everyone this morning if you decided to follow Christ. But you know what? It's not really about what other people think. It's not really about what the other invited guests think. How how does the king see you? Does he see you as an outsider soon to be in darkness? Or does he see you clothed in his righteousness that he provided for you on your behalf? So we're going we're gonna to sing in just a second. And I just want to ask, which one are you? Which person are you this morning? And if, if, the, if today you're saying, hey, I want to be more than just some outsider that everyone thinks is, is here for the right reasons, this morning I want to be clothed in the righteousness of God. I'm going to invite you during this invitation to just get out of your seat. Me and Gary will be up here at the front. Just do whatever God has you do. If you would, go ahead and stand to your feet as we sing together.